That's right, the joke master. And I foolishly... Hey. That's right, the joke master. And I foolishly considered... That's right, the joke master. And I foolishly considered getting a joke, a dad joke, and, and I told Becky this this morning, and uh, then I realized this, is, this would be a never-ending competition, and, and I was a little concerned that I might lose this competition, so I was not going to do that, but uh, you know, it, it's so neat because uh, the way you responded to Becky, and... Uh, <laughs> um, so you know it's it's we should we, the bible says a merry heart does good like a medicine and we should be laughing even even in the difficult times that we live in there should be a lot of laughter in our life uh, because we have a joy we have a confidence no matter what we're what we're seeing what we're hearing what's going on in the world god already told us in his word he said that the the days would grow evil that darkness would cover the earth and gross darkness the people. This isn't taking God by surprise, and it shouldn't take us by surprise. And God has a plan, and his plan is for good, with a future and a hope. No matter what's going on in the world, God's plan doesn't change for us. He's going to fulfill his plan in our lives if we'll choose to honor him, to walk with him, to align ourselves with him and allow him to do what only he can do. We see throughout the Bible uh, people in situations that were very difficult, very desperate, very dangerous, and yet God got them through because God will bring his people through every time. And we don't have to be overwhelmed. We don't have to be uh, full of fear or anxiety because of what's going on in the world, because the Bible says that, that you and I are in this world, but we're not of this world. The greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world, and that's God. God put his spirit in us as believers in Jesus Christ, and so we don't have to fear what's going on. We just have to trust, rely on, and enter into the rest of faith, knowing that God is going to have his way as we allow him to. Because that's the key. What are we going to have? Are we going to have our will? Are we going to have somebody else's will? Or are we going to have God's will? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And when we do, God is faithful. God is faithful to take care of all these things. Amen? Well, this morning we're going to continue on. Um, but I have, I, I wasn't going to, when finally I got a dose of reality from God, I wasn't going to have a joke because I knew it couldn't stand up to the joke master. But I have a riddle for you, okay? So what is it? We all have a unique amount of it. It is given to us in the same quantities. We have 8,736, but we don't know how many of those we have. Years. We have 8,736 hours in a year. And we're all given the same amount of time in quantity. All of us have 60 seconds to a minute, 60 minutes to an hour, 24 hours a day, seven days in a week. But how many years do we have? See, none of us can answer that question. That's right, only God knows. And, and do we want just to have a lot of hours in our life, a lot of years in our life, or do we want our life to be and our hours to be and our years to be full of life? There's a difference. We can spend time. We can waste time. We can use our time or we can invest our time. And it's a choice. We all make it. Every, every choice we make will never get that time back. And so what are we using it for? How are we using it? Are we using it for the best or for something else? 
The psalmist said, remind me my days are numbered. You know, our days are numbered. I don't have the same number that you may have. But God knows my days. God knows your days. And God doesn't want you just spending time or just wasting time or using time. He wants you to invest your time. Because when you invest something, what happens? You get a return. There's something that comes back. When you spend something, it's usually gone. When you waste something, it's definitely gone. But God has for us to invest our lives, our time, our years, our days, our weeks, our minutes, our hours, our seconds. And the best investment is in what God has for us. It's the most valuable thing. One of the things that... that I learned growing up, and it, it reminded me of, of time. We moved a lot, and every time we moved, we had a certain amount of stuff we could take. Now, when we moved up here, when Debbie and I moved up here, we knew we were going to get a U-Haul truck, and we had a car. And that was the only space we had available to us. And so we filled the truck, and we filled the car, and guess what happened? That's exactly right, Fred. There was stuff left over. Now, because I had moved a lot as a kid, one of the things my, my mom and dad taught me was, when you're about to move, you make sure you pack the most important things and the biggest things first. And then pack the little things and the less important things around it just in case. Like what happened in our situation moving up here, you don't have enough room for everything. How many of you know you don't have enough room, time for everything? And you've got to make a choice. But if we don't make a choice, a choice will be made for us. It's just kind of like every flat surface. It's going to find something to fill it. But with this, what's most important in your life? Because right now, if you and I look at our lives, we're going to see that we're spending a lot of time not necessarily investing it. And one of the things that has become one of the biggest draws of our time is a lot of the social media. And, and how much good is coming from that? Now, I don't want an answer because everybody has their own answer. But just like I challenged you a while back, that every time you or I, we look at our phone, when we pick up our phone to look at it, whether it's for a phone call, whether it's for an email or a text or, or just a notification, or we want to check the weather, pause. Take a minute to connect with God. And I don't know if you've been doing that, but, but I do that. And it, it is an amazing thing how many times I will actually acknowledge God, I'll interact with God, and how much better my days are going. But if we just leave them out until the bottom drops out, you know, we're not really having that relationship with God the way he intended. If all we ever did was call on somebody when we were in trouble, how strong do you think the relationship would be? Well, hopefully there's a, they're a friend and we're not just calling them in trouble. Because if we're connecting on a regular basis, it's not a have to, it's a want to. And it's a friendship. And friends stand up and stand with and go through whatever another friend is going through. But that's where we, we need to realize that God intended him not just to be almighty God that we approach in a time of catastrophe or struggle or trouble, but he's an ever-present help. He's ever-present with us. There's no one that sticks closer than God. And we've been learning about the fact that, that Jesus taught us a way to build a friendship. We start with a partnership, and it grows into a friendship because God really is our life. And the, in Deuteronomy, Moses was speaking to the nation of Israel about the law, about the covenant, about what God expected and what God wanted and who God was to them. And just listen to this. 
Today I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. You know, even then, God's saying you've got life and death, blessing and cursing. Now, if that's all the information you had, what would you choose? Life and blessing, right? But God, God so wants us to have the best, he then said, choose life. Choose life. You have life and blessing, death and cursing, choose life. He's given us the answer, not just the choice, but we can ignore him. Then it goes on to say, choose life that you may love the Lord God, that you may obey his voice and you may cling to him, for he is your life and length of days. God is your life and length of days. It says to cling to him. That word cling is a word abide. Even back then, God was saying, you need to abide. You need to connect. And we've been learning about abiding. And, and today, we're going to look more into that. We've been looking into it. And you may say, well, we've been looking into it. Yeah, that's true. We have. We've been studying it. We've been trying to understand it, dissect it, reveal how, what that means to us. But it's not just about information. It's about application. Every time we're exposed to the Word of God, and we in America are exposed a lot more than a lot of other countries. Every time we're exposed to God, there's a choice to make. Because if we just hear it, if it's another bit of information that is amassed to us, and we don't apply it, we deceive ourselves. Now, deception is one of the biggest characteristics of the end days, and we're seeing it all the time, everywhere. Many will be deceived. And there will be those that will deceive many. But the last thing you or I need is for us to deceive ourselves. And the moment we don't apply what we hear of the word, there's deception that begins to operate. And where there's deception, there's loss. I'm glad some of you remember that. Where there's deception, there's loss. It's where the enemy is able to operate and rob and steal and destroy. And so that's why it is of utmost importance that when we hear, when we read, when we are exposed to the Word of God, we pause for a second. God, how do I apply this to my life? What adjustment do I need to make to make sure this isn't just another bit of information that I store back there to draw out when I think I need it. Because you know what? We always need the Word of God. How do I incorporate this in my life? And Jesus was telling his disciples some very, very, very applicable things, very important things that they needed to apply to their life right away because of what they were facing. They were facing seeing their leader who had been leading them for three years die on the cross. But then they'd see him raised from the dead and then they'd have to do what God, what the Lord commissioned them to do without his physical presence with them, but with his spirit with them. Just like the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Dwells in you. Empowers you imparts to you gifts and fruit. And that's what he was talking about, fruit. The fruit that their lives should exhibit to bring great glory to the Father, to prove that they were true followers of Christ, and to fulfill what they were called and ordained for, the same as we are today. And so today we're going we're gonna to go back into this because... Repetition is the motor of learning. It's what it takes for us to learn. Because there are, I would say, very few, if any of us, that get everything on the first time. And we, as human beings, we want new. We want new, we want different. But understand, there's nothing different under the sun. And many times, we just need to get in there and see how, how is my life exhibiting what I've, I've learned? 
and how am I applying it? So this morning, before we go to the Word, I just, just want to pray if you bow your heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence here. We know that you're always wherever we are, but Father, most times we are really not as attentive, responsive, and available to you. But Father, this morning, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you for uh, every person that's here that chose, made a choice to be here instead of somewhere else. Father, I pray that their choice of their investment of time and attention would pay off big. Father, I thank you for your impartation to each one of us here today. Impartation of wisdom, of understanding, of grace, of peace, of hope, of joy, that, Father, we would grow and we would go from glory to glory. And we thank you for the good work that you've begun in us, that you are faithful to complete because you're at work in us to will and to do your good pleasure by your spirit and through your word that our lives will be truly examples and representations of who you are and what your kingdom is like. And so we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said? So we've been learning about this, this teaching that Jesus did on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, on his way to being arrested, on his way to the cross. Very, very intense, important times. And this was the first of the teachings. And in John chapter 15, verse 2 and verse 5, tell us in this teaching, Jesus was, was telling his disciples what was important and why it was important, but how it could occur. And there are three, three stages. And he was talking about fruit bearing. We're supposed to be fruitful. It was the commission of God to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue, and have dominion. God still wants us to be fruitful, to multiply, subdue, and have dominion. But, but we have to understand, how is this fruit produced? And so the first stage, it was about lifting. It was about God lifting and discipline that reveals. God reveals and indicates what needs, needs to be removed in the way of active sin in our life. Because if we don't, it hinders fruit bearing. You know, there are things that hinder the crops in the fields, Right? There are a variety of things. There are things that hinder fruit bearing in our life. We were created to bear fruit, but not always do we bear fruit. When we come into the kingdom, we begin that process. But the, the biggest thing, the first thing that needs to be dealt with is we are a new creation in Christ, but we need to deal with the sin that still is carried on into this new creation because sin produces death. And that death robs the fruit in our life. The second phase, the second stage is to prune. God prunes us, and, and how he does, he reveals and chooses to help us remove our self-dependence and our self-guidance. Because if we're depending and guiding ourselves, then we won't depend on and be guided by God. It robs fruit in our lives. And then the third stage, we see in verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. It's abiding. Abiding is a connection. It's making a home. It's reaching out and holding on to God with both hands. Nothing more important, nothing more valuable, nothing more desired in our lives than God. Now, when I say that, I know in my life and your life, that's not absolutely true. There are things that we desire. There are things that we want, and sometimes more than God. And so we have to recognize that and realize the very things that we want more than God are going to rob us of God's best life, rob us of an abundant life that Jesus came to give us. And, and he says, abide in me and I in him. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So this first aspect of abiding is we choose as a branch does to the vine Hold on for dear life because that's where life comes from. The life of the branch comes from the vine. The life in you, the life in me comes from Jesus. The moment we don't hold on to him, the moment we're reaching out for something else, we diminish the flow of life in us. And not just to us, it's the life that goes through us to impact and to impart to our families, to our friends, to our co-workers, to those people that Jesus died for. And so... 
This is that first part of abiding. We abide in him and he abides in us. And how he does it is by his spirit. And we're supposed to be filled with the spirit. You know, it's one thing to have the spirit of God in us, but it's another thing for the spirit of God to have us. You know, throughout the, the, the book of Acts, people were filled with the Holy Ghost. And when the Bible tells us to be filled with the Spirit, it's not a one-time thing. It's a constant over and over and over. We're always being refilled and refilled and refilled because our life is supposed to be overflowing. But we're supposed to be refilled with the Spirit, the Spirit of God. And that's what the first two stages do. It opens up places and spaces for God by His Spirit to begin to fill our lives instead of the stuff that filled our lives before we came to Christ. And then it says in verse 7, it tells us that if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. That's an amazing statement. It's an amazing promise. But we have to qualify. If, if, that's a condition. It shows us there are qualifications if you abide in me. Again, our choice. What are we choosing to reach out for? What are we choosing to prioritize in our life? What are we choosing to value in our life? Because it's so easy to let things rise up in our life that become so important that what they actually do is they diminish the importance of God in our life. We can't give ourselves to two things. The Bible says we can't serve two masters. And any other master than God is going to diminish the abundant life that God has for us, brought to us through Jesus Christ. My words abide in you. Again, this is the second aspect of abiding. We abide in him. We reach out for him, but then we fill and allow our lives to be filled with the word of God. And this isn't just any word of God. It's the rhema word of God, which the Bible says is our only offensive weapon as Christians. It's the sword of the Spirit. The rhema word is a specific word for a specific moment and situation to a specific person. Because when we're in the midst of a battle, we don't just need information. We need a specific weapon to be able to cut through what the enemy's trying to do and cut us free. You'll know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free and keep you free. And that's what the word of God is. It's truth. The Bible says your word is truth. And this is where, this isn't just by osmosis. You know, I used to want to learn by laying on my books. I wish it would just kind of seep into my brains. But it doesn't. There's a lot of hard work. If you're going to study for a test, you've got to study. You can't just lay on something. Expect it to kind of come in. And it's the same thing with the Word of God. This is a fight. This is a battle. The enemy is, is very very deceptive and very stealthy in trying to get you and me to not make the Word of God a priority in our life, where we are feeding on the Word, where we are digesting the Word, where we are hiding His Word in our heart. And the Bible says when we do, we'll not sin against Him. We'll not get tripped up into sin because what happens is we find out what the truth is. And we know what truth does. And we want truth more than we want Whatever is drawing us or tempting us or enticing us and entrapping us and robbing us and destroying what God has for our lives. So this word, we have, the Bible says to whom much is given, much is, is required. We in this country don't realize the amazing blessing we have in being able to sit in a place like this and hear the word of God be able to carry our Bibles, be able to have the Word of God accessible to us at all times of the day in all different forms because there are not, there is not that freedom in, in every country. And yet it is so available it almost becomes common to us. And it's not that important until we realize we're in a fight. And when we're in that fight, that fight of faith, the only way it's going to be a good fight is if you have all the equipment, all the tools, all the weapons you need 
to be able to stand in confident expectation of God that what he said he'll do. But that means you, you and I build it into our lives. We take time when we have time to study the word of God, to meditate, to memorize the word of God. And if we don't, we're going to be fumbling for what we need in the moment that we need it, finding we don't have it. And that's a terrible place to be in. And then in verse 9 and 10, Jesus says, The Father loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. So this is the third. The third aspect of abiding. We abide in His Spirit, His Spirit abides in us. We abide in Him and His Word abides in us. We abide in Him and His love abides in us. Because God is love. And love never fails. But this love that we're supposed to be abiding in, it's not just, I feel God's love. God said, there's a way you can know you're abiding in my love if you keep my commandments. If we keep his commandments. If, if we keep his commandments, we abide in his love, and his love abides in us. And it's so important because love never fails. Never fails fails. How do we know? How do we know if, if that's happening? Well, we're going to look at that in a minute, but in verse 11 and 12, we haven't really read this before, but it says this, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. We've read that, so we realize his joy will remain in us and our joy will be full. And what, what does joy do? Yeah, the joy the Lord gives us strength, and at any time, we need strength to be able to stand in the midst of what is going on. The chaos, the, the craziness of the world that we're living in, we need God's strength. We need God's joy. And our joy needs to be full. So we show the people around us that we're not rattled by what's going on. We're not afraid of what Putin is saying. If you're afraid of what he's saying, then, then Putin is bigger and more important than God. Because God said things and Putin's saying things. Who are you going to trust in more? We've got we've to make the determination who we're going to trust in more. Then it says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's the part of the great commandment. We're supposed to, when, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He responded, to love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all of your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Then we're also told in the Bible we're supposed to love our enemies and those that, that persecute us and despitefully use us. And we're to bless them and pray for them. Well, that's not something that's, that's able to be done by us as human beings without the grace of God, without the love of God filling our lives. And when God's love fills our lives, and the way it fills our lives, the Bible says, Holy Spirit floods our hearts with love. That perfect love casts out all fear, and it empowers us to move in the character of God who blesses, who reached out to all of us that were dead in our trespasses and sins, all of us who were enemies of the cross, and was willing to give it all. You know, we, we have to be willing be willing to lay down our lives to God and for others. Love one another as I have loved you. How do we know? How do we know? How do we know we're abiding in love? How do we know that we're loving the way God loved us? Well, somebody came up to me a few weeks ago and said, I know where you're going. And I said, where am I going? He said, I, I know. I know you're going to Galatians. And I wasn't sure I was going there, but we're going there. In Galatians chapter 5, this, this is, uh, displays what love does in a person's life. The Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And that God kind of love, that agape love is displayed, it's revealed, it's experienced by others and us in joy and peace and long-suffering or patience. All of a sudden, when we're, when we're abiding in God's love and God's love is abiding in us, we're patient. We're joyful. We're full of peace. We're kind. 
We're generous. That's what goodness is. It's generosity. We're faithful. We're gentle or humble. And we're self-controlled. But today in this world that we live in, we don't see many of these characteristics in society at large. And the big challenge is we don't see much of this in many Christians. And this should be, this should be just absolutely fruit that is being produced in our lives all the time. When we encounter people and people encounter us, are they encountering our joy and our peace and our patience and our kindness and our generosity and our faithfulness and our humility and our self-control? Or are they experiencing something else? Because as Christians, this is who we are supposed to be because this is who we're representing. Remember, 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 every time somebody looks at us, somebody comes in contact with us, whether they're saved or unsaved, they're seeing God through the lens of us. Oh, they're Christians, and that's what Christians do. Is it? Is that what Christ's followers do? Is that what Christ does? You know, this is, this is it's a challenge. And the reason why it's so challenging, and I believe God is challenging the church in these days, is the church needs to get on board. We need to quit wasting time, spending time, using time, and we need to be investing time. For the glory of God and for the saving of souls. That's what we're here for. We've received all that we've received so that we would be able to go to heaven, but we don't want to go alone, do we? God doesn't want us to go alone. And so all this fruit, this fruit in our lives, this fruit of love, all this fruit is the very means of people being drawn to Jesus, Christ in us, who's the hope of glory. But if they're not seeing much fruit, if they're not seeing much love, they're not seeing Christ. And the glory that's being revealed isn't as complete and full as God intended, because God intended in these last days. The glory of the Lord would fill the earth just like the waters cover the sea. That's not a cloud rolling out of heaven. It's Christ rising up in us. It's his character, his nature. It's showing the principles of his kingdom. It's showing the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and, and all of us, listen, don't be condemned. Just know there's room for improvement in all of us. But if we don't recognize how we should be growing and how we should be going from glory to glory, if there's this level of glory and now we're going to this level of glory and Christ in us is the hope of glory, what does it require for us to get to this level of glory? More of our lives being controlled and filled, directed and flooded by, by Christ, who is love. And again, how do we, how do we know? How, how are we able to tell whether we're abiding in this love? These characteristics will be prominent in our life. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to look at verse 4 through the first part of verse 8, because again, this is a depiction. This isn't something we read about that is happening out there. It should be happening in here. Love endures long and is patient and kind, never is envious or boils over with jealousy. It's not boastful or vainglorious. It does not display itself haughtily. Just, just pause for a second. Close your eyes. 
Love endures long and is patient. Love is kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. As I say those things, I am thinking about my life as you should be thinking about your life. Are, is that true? Or is there adjustment that needs to be made? Do I need to make some adjustment? Then with your eyes closed again, listen. It's not boastful or vainglorious, and it does not display itself haughtily. Is that true about us? Is there improvement that needs to be made in our lives? Because if we sit here right now and say, no, I got it all together, then you're more deceived than you realize. Again, listen. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It's not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecoming. Again, we see it throughout the Old Testament. Selah, pause and reflect, consider. Let God help you to see where there's adjustment that needs to be made in each one of us. Because God wants to take us from glory to glory. And the world needs us to allow the glory of God to increase in our lives and through our lives. And that's because Christ is in our lives the God who is love and, and displays himself this way. Goes on to say, love's, God's love in us does not insist on its own rights or its own ways. It's not self-seeking. It's not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Go ahead, John. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. It's ever ready to believe the best of every person. It hopes, its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances. And it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. This is, this is, this is what God has for us to display in the earth. Because if you realize this is what the world needs. You know, it's not just a song, and you can look up. You know, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. What the world needs now is love, but it's Jesus who is love. And the way they're going to receive that love is through Jesus' ambassadors, those that are here to witness for Jesus, which is every person in the body of Christ. This isn't just for a select few. This is something every one of us. What should be happening is that when somebody runs into you and they know that you're a Christian, they see characteristics in you that they see when they see another person in their life that's a Christian. And all of a sudden, there's this continuity that occurs and they have this aha moment. Oh my gosh, that's really what a Christian is. And if that's really what a Christian is, that's really what Christ is. And if that's really what Christ is, I need Christ. So the question is, are we abiding? Are we abiding in him and letting the spirit abide in us who floods us with the love of God, who fills us with the fruit of God? Are we abiding in the word, the word of God, which is life and truth and health? Are we abiding in him and letting his love abide in us, which displays itself in a way that's so contrary to what we encounter every day. And yet we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be not just slightly different. We're supposed to be peculiar. As Christians, we're not just 
a subculture within the culture of America or the culture of the world. We are absolutely countercultural to the world. We stand in direct, not opposition to people, but opposition to the way people live. Showing them the way that God has for us to live. That when they see the joy, when they see the peace, when they see the patience, when they see the kindness, when they see the generosity and the self-control and the humility, they're going to fall away to you towards Christ. And we make, just like Jesus did on the cross, he took our sins. And what did he do? When I was an enemy of the cross, he died for me. He turned an enemy into a friend. That's what we're here to do. Turn people that are enemies to God into friends of God. But the only way we can do that is if we're friends of God. And that's what abiding does. It's not a partnership. It's a friendship. It's a relationship with the best friend we will ever have. And if you think that's a statement that's just over the top, you're mistaken. There's no friend that you'll ever have that'll be better than God. And if we challenge that, if we, if we struggle with that, then take a look at our lives and we're as close to being a friend as we've chosen to be because God wants to be our best friend. Now, he's still almighty God. But he's not pulling rank on us. He so loved us that he left heaven and came right to where we were, was willing to sacrifice everything. You know, love is an amazing thing, the love of God. Not the love the world gives that's conditional. The unconditional love of God is an amazing thing. Henry Drummond said, faults are thick where th love is thin. He said, you'll find as you look back upon your life that the moments when you have really lived are the moments when you have done things in the spirit of love. Absolutely true. And so we're going to look, we're going to begin to look at something else. It's about abiding, but it's in the Old Testament. It's one of the most well-known psalms. You know, Psalm 23 is probably the best-known psalm. But Psalm 91 is one of the most well-known psalms, and I would encourage you to memorize it. And so we're going to just look at it real quickly this morning. In Psalm 91, verse 1 and 2, it says this. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and him I will trust. Now we see this and we see there are two things that it tells us. Anybody can do this, but this is what we have to choose. He who dwells, that word dwells means to make a home in, to be constantly present, to sit down, to remain, and to continue. It it's, it's, means to abide. But where do we dwell? What does it say? The secret place of who? The Most High. Well, if it's a secret place, what does that kind of give us a clue of? Does everybody know a secret? No, that's what makes it a secret. <laughs> that's some of the revelation today. The secret place. Why is it the secret place? Is God playing hide and seek? Is he messing with us? No, it's a secret place because everybody doesn't know it. But they can. Who can come to salvation in Christ? Everyone. God desires that no man would perish, but all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But it's a secret place because everybody, everybody isn't aware of it. Everybody isn't seeking it. The other reason why it's secret is the only person that knows whether you're there is God and you. Because we, let's face it, we do it every Sunday. How are you? Oh, I'm great. God is great. God may be doing great things in our lives, but 
We can put on a show. And many times we do. We don't, we don't let everybody know what's going on in our lives because everybody's not going to be a help to carry what needs to be carried. Some may just tell other people and, and gossip about it, and that's, we understand that. That's, that's a, a tendency people have. But we can put on a front, a facade, that looks like we dwell with God. We, we dwell in the secret place of the Most High. We're like that. He and I are like that. And yet sin's still running rampant in our lives. And self. There's only room for one on the throne of your life. Only one to guide. Only one to govern. You can't serve two masters. And we may be looking like God's running the show. God's guiding. God's governing. God's guarding us. But we're, we're like a duck. Ever seen a duck go across the, the, the water? Smooth. Right? It's not like a pigeon. When a pigeon walks, right? You don't see that in a duck. Duck's going across the water. He's like, you don't see anything. But underneath, that's like us sometimes as Christians. We're trying to show we got it all together. We're smooth. But underneath, where nobody sees, we're just paddling for dear life, trying to stay above. You don't have to do that when you dwell. When you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, He's the one that holds you. He is your life and the length of your days. And He won't just give you the number of your days, he'll fill your days with purpose, with joy, with peace, with hope, in spite of what's going on around you. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We know what abide means. But it says under the shadow of the Almighty. Why does it say that? How close do you have to be to be under somebody's shadow? Yeah. And what is a shadow? You know, these people in that time understood a shadow was a covering. For Israel, when they were going through the wilderness, what did God manifest his presence as? Yes, a pillar of fire by night. Why? Because he gave light in a very dark place and warmth. And in the day, what did he manifest himself as? A cloud. Why a cloud? Because in the desert, the one thing you need is shade. Obviously, you need water, but you need shade too. God is a covering. He's not a lid. He doesn't contain you. But he protects you. And when you abide, he's able to protect you. And then it says, I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. He's our refuge. What is a refuge? A safe place, a sanctuary. These people understood that because in what God told them, the framework of how they were supposed to live, there were cities of refuge. Cities of refuge were places, now we hear them today, cities of refuge. They're not the way God had them. But cities of refuge were places where if somebody got to, they were protected. And it was, it was, it was a show of God's mercy. He's a refuge, a safe place, a sanctuary. He is my safe place. But he's also my fortress. What's a fortress? A stronghold is a castle a fortress. What makes a fortress a fortress? Its strength, its ability to protect. It's a place where you can be at ease. 
You're confident that no evil is going to come to you. You're, you're not going to be overthrown or overwhelmed. This is who God is when we choose to dwell and abide. That's why in this, in this day that we live in, we need to be abiding in God. We need to be dwelling in God. We need God, His Spirit, filling and flooding us to overflowing. Not just, yeah, I got, I got, I got the Holy Spirit when I got saved back 30 years ago. Are you Constantly being refilled with the Spirit because that's what the Bible tells us. Are you abiding and letting the Word of God abide in you? Are you constantly refilling your life with the Word of God? Reminding, remembering, rehearsing the Word of God because we do that, but we do it in a negative way. All those, all those little Loops that we have in our minds of telling us we're not enough, we're not good enough, we'll never amount to anything. We need to reverse that and begin to meditate and have loops of truth that causes us to experience more freedom, more goodness, more peace, more joy in God than ever before. Are we abiding in God's love? that casts out all fear, that causes us to respond in ways that are counter-cultural. Because we know, man, there are all sorts of things going on out there, but I don't rely on everything out there. I rely on the God who's with me and for me. And nothing can stand against me because I'm abiding. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. See, we mentioned it's a secret place. And today nobody knows but you and God whether you're there. Whether you're abiding there. Whether you're letting the Spirit fill you and you're, you're receiving a fresh infilling of the Spirit every day or maybe a couple of times a day because the day's been so taxing and you've been outflowing with God and God wants to just well up in you and fill you once again with his peace and his joy and his hope. Are, are you and I taking the time to meditate on the word, to memorize the word, to rehearse the word, to ourselves and, and share the word with others? Are we abiding in God's love and having God's love abide in us? That he really is our refuge and our fortress. God said he's going to shake everything that can be shaken in the days we're living in and we're seeing it. But the one who will not be shaken is the one who is abiding in God, who has planted their feet on the rock of God, on the rock of his word, and filled with his spirit, and flooded with his love. And this is not something, don't think, oh my gosh, I'm so far from that. We're all in a progressive work. But the question is, are you progressing? And sometimes it doesn't even look like it or feel like it, but if we keep on doing what God told us to do, it will result in what God said would occur, fruit. Great fruit, much fruit, for the glory of your Father. To show that you are true followers of Jesus. And reveal that you are fulfilling what you were called and ordained to do in this earth. If you know, and, and I will tell you right now, I know I need to make progress in this. I need to continue to develop in this. Because we'll all be developing all the days of our lives in this part of life. If you know that, let God know. Don't, don't, don't think you're hiding anything from him. 
And if you don't think you need to make progress, then realize you're just deceived. Because no matter where any of us are, there's always another level. Another level of glory. Another level of gain. That, that God can bring greater blessings to us and, and through us to those around us. And so, Father, we desire that. Father, I ask you to help me pull away the curtain in my life and in our lives of where we've deceived ourselves, where, where we need to adjust and grow. Father, the only thing, things constant in our life are you and change, that we would be conformed more fully and completely to the image of your Son, that we would be more aligned in step with you. Not out ahead and not lagging behind. But continuing to walk with you. Your word says we're to walk in the spirit. Father, help us. Help us to learn to abide even more, to be in constant connection and communion with you, available, listening, to obey, and to love you, and to love others as you have loved us. Father, we thank you for this good work that you've begun. This is a never-ending work in our lives in this, this, this earth. But Father, we desire to gain give you gain, that you would increase and we would decrease. We thank you, Father, for this. Father, right now, I pray for, for those that have been hurt and disappointed and, and uh, injured. Father, I pray for their, their healing, the healing of their souls so that they can open up again first and foremost to you, that they can trust again and rely on you and rest in you and receive from you the very things that they need. Lord, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you for, for your healing. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are Jehovah Rapha that heals us. Lord, you're our shepherd, you restore our souls. Father, I pray right now for, for people to release hurts, offenses, injuries. Forgive freely so that they can receive your forgiveness. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? You know, things are happening so fast in, in the world we live in, and the Lord could return at any time. And we, we are the resource God has in this world to bring in the great harvest. So we need to be prepared. Amen? I just want to pray for you before you go. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every one of your children. It's so good, Father, that we have you living in us, that when we leave here, we don't leave you, and you don't leave us. But Father, not, not only do you abide in us, we choose to abide in you. That there is a connection and a communion and an exchange that happens. As we give ourselves to you more fully, you're able to give yourself to us more fully. That Father, wherever we go, we'll be aware and receptive and responding to you, not, not what we encounter. Because, Jesus, you're our Lord. There's nothing else that's to master us but you. We thank you. We thank you for the privilege of being friends and co-laborers with you and the blessing and honor of being your children. Help us to represent you accurately, 
consistently and continuously. In Jesus' name, amen.